course, but that's all right. I want to encourage you to share. That's all right. I'm going to go for it. That's right. There's no brakes, man. Only a gas pedal. We're just going to go. So I want to encourage you to share the live stream. Hit share on if you're watching us on Facebook. Give someone else an opportunity to receive Jesus and to hear about the good news. And today we're going to talk about expectancy. Say it with me. Expectancy. Say this. Jesus never promised me a rose garden. That's right. Jesus never promised you a life without pain. He never promised you a life without the existence of difficulties. What he promised you is victory, Christian. You understand that? The Bible says in this world we have trouble. We have difficulties. We have pain. We have unexpected circumstances that come upon us. And the Lord never promised us pain-free existence. Who told you that? But he has promised you a victory. He has promised you overcoming power. He has promised you beauty for ashes. He's promised you light for darkness. He's promised to trade your sorrows for the joy of the morning. And that's good news. That's good news for somebody. Amen. Amen. He promised you victory and overcoming power. The Bible says this, the Spirit himself, Romans 8, 17, bears witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters. Say it with me. I am a son or a daughter of the highest. The Bible says if we are sons and daughters, then we are, everybody say this, heirs. Oh, come on, heirs. And joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we endure with him, that we may be glorified with him. We are heirs. Double heirs, the Bible says. You have a double portion entitlement to the things that God has promised you. You're not just an heir because you're a son or a daughter. You're an heir because you're in Christ. It is an irrefutable statement of your sonship or your daughtership. It is an irrefutable decree upon your life that cannot be denied should you choose to exercise it. And that's the key. Should you choose to exercise it? It's, Jesus doubles down. And when it says, well, we have to endure with Christ, we have to suffer with Christ, what it means is you have to go through stuff with him. The Lord says you are an heir and you are a joint heir with him and you will go through things with him. You're going to understand your sonship. You're going to understand your daughtership when you go through circumstances, Christian. You're going to understand that nothing by any means can harm you. I don't care how black the night is. The light of the world is greater than the darkest night. Okay? Doesn't matter. And when you go through things with Jesus, we translate this word as suffer. Oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. Suffering for Jesus. It's the word endurance. And it means to go through. If you will endure with him. You can't endure without him. Say that. I cannot. Oh, this is going to help you. I cannot endure without him. You need him every minute of every hour of every day. And he's there for you. You have to endure with him. You cannot endure without him. And the Lord says, if you will endure, if you will go through this with me, or it's better, better stated, even though the Lord phrases it that way, it's better stated if we will, if we, we're going through it, but we let Jesus help us go through it. That's what happens. We endure it with Christ, and then we're glorified together. What this means is joined in approving goodness. That's what glorified. The word glory is the word kavod. It means weight, weight of goodness. And when he says you're being glorified, it means to be joined in approving goodness. Lord says, if you will understand that you're an heir and a son and daughter and you will allow me to go through these situations with you, if you will allow yourself to go through this situation with me, then you're going to understand and you're going you're to receive my goodness and you're going to be joined together in my approving goodness. You're going to understand the goodness of God because you're going to go through stuff. Does that make sense to you? Yeah? You're you're, you are undefeatable. The Christian, the born-again believer, cannot be defeated. I got one. The born-again believer cannot be defeated. Amen. Amen. You are undefeatable. The only way you lose is if you quit. That is the only way you lose. There is no ability. Hell does not have the ability to defeat you. You are already victorious. What hell does is it stops you or delays you. Right? And usually the stopping of our lives or the delays within our lives are related to our own ignorance. Not knowing what we're dealing with, not knowing what we're doing, or not knowing under, or understanding who and what we are. We have to appropriate what, who and what we are into these circumstances. Expectation is rooted in faith. Say this, faith. Come on, faith. We need to understand these terms, right? We say faith, 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 faith. Say this, faith is the joyful expectation of something good. That's right. 
the joyful expectation of something good. I believe that God is going to do something good. And I have joy in this. Joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is a decision. Joy is a quality decision. If happiness is based on circumstances, joy is based on a determination. You understand that? You say, I don't have joy. What's the word? Rejoice? You know what it means? Go find it. People say, I don't have joy. And the Lord says, cool, rejoice. Go find it. That's what the word rejoice means. Go find joy. Has the Lord ever done anything for you? Find joy in that. Is the Lord with you? Find joy in that. Make a decision. Make a determination that you will have joy. That's what it is. Faith is the, faith is the expectation, the joyful expectation of something good. Now, this is going to help you. It's going to help you, right? My name's Kevin, and I'm your friend, right? I'm here to help you, here to guide you, here to lead you by the grace of God. Say this, every area or any area of my life that does not have glistening hope is under the influence of a lie. Oh, yeah. Just think about that one. Any area of your life that is not, does not have glistening hope is under the influence of a lie. Who told you that? Who told you you're not going to make it? Who told you you're going down? Who told you things aren't going to change? Who told you this is the way it always has to be? Who told you that? That's a lie. Did Jesus tell you that? Well, if Jesus didn't tell you that, then it's not true. So you're listening to somebody. You might be listening to yourself. You might be listening to the devil. You might be listening to circumstances, situations, your past, everybody else. But Jesus didn't tell you that. Faith is the joyful expectation of something good in any area. When you look at your life and you feel hopelessness and despair, you need to understand that where hopelessness and despair exist, there is a lie. There's a lie there somewhere. I'm not good enough. Who told you that? I don't have what it takes. Who told you that? I'm going to fail. Who, go on. The list goes on. Any area of your life. So wherever you feel hopelessness, or wherever you feel despair, or wherever you feel some realm of impossibility, there's a lie there. One of the definitions of expectation is tippy-toe. <laughs> tippy-toe. Get up on your tippy-toes. Right? That's what it means. Tippy-toes. You're expecting. Oh, man, I can't wait. The Lord's going to do something. The Lord's going to do something. That's what expectation is. The joyful expectation of something good. It's related to faith. You bus stop wait or you park bench wait. The choice is yours. Faith in the kingdom is not passive. It's active. You park bench wait and you're not expecting anything to happen. Can I get a witness? All right. Maybe throw some seeds out and expect the pigeons to come and eat it, but you're not really looking for anything. You, you bus stop wait. You have people here that ride the bus or ride the train. When you ride the bus or you ride the train, you're expecting, right? You're looking at your watch. You're looking down the track. You're pacing up and down the street. You're expecting that bus to be on time. You're expecting that bus to be there. We have to have expectation. We have to believe God. Say it with me. Without faith, without the joyful expectation of something good, we cannot please the Lord. We have to believe God for something. God's expecting faith from us, Christian. What we do is we dumb it down with faith in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. That's one plus one equals two. God's expecting an active lifestyle of faith, believing him for the promises, believing him for greater things, believing him to transform impossible situations. That's who we serve. We serve a God whose desire is to break into impossible situations and reverse the effects. That's who he is. His desire is to break into the marriage, is to break into the home, is to break into the circumstances, is to break into a life, even lives that have been in bondage, is to break into that life and to reverse the effects of impossible situations. And only he can do it. There's nobody else that can do it. He's the only one. Buddha can't, you know, Krishna can't, L. Ron Hubbard can't. The only one who can reverse the impossible effects is Jesus because he's the only one that paid for it. He paid for sin. He paid for pain. He paid for all of those things. He owns it. He's the only one. He's the God of the living and the dead. He has authority. All authority is mine. He doesn't share it with anybody except his sons and daughters. With that authority, he shares it with you. But nobody else has that authority except him. That authority, that dominion only flows through his lordship. And unless you're under his lordship, you don't even have any clue about what that authority looks like. But if you are under his lordship, you not only have the expression of that to you, you can have the expression of that through you. Oh, glorious, happy day. You can watch it with your own eyes come through your life. You can see it. Expectation is tippy-toe. 
Say it with me. It's time. Come on. For some tippy toe faith. Tippy toe. Tippy toe. Tippy toe. <laughs> some of y'all need to worship. Tippy toe. Tippy toe. Sarah, you need to start dancing. Tippy toe. I think she does. I don't know. Colossians, Jesus has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The only thing that stands between you and your miracle is you. There is nothing that stands between you and Jesus. So what happens? The unbeliever, you don't know Christ. The only thing that stands between you and eternal life is you. The only one that stands between you and the forgiveness of sins is you. Today, if you will hear my voice, not harden your heart in rebellion. If you will hear me, and you will come to me. So Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open your heart, I will come in. The only thing that stands between us and what the Lord wants for us is you. Your thinking, your habits, your attitudes, your actions. Nothing stands between you and your miracle except you. Nothing stands between you and your destiny except you. Somebody says, well, the devil does. Adversity does. Well, let's just talk about adversity. You're an overcomer. Overcomer. Yes, in all these things, we have victory. Yes, in all these things, we're, we are overcomers. Jesus leads us in triumphal processions. So how does the Lord want to lead your life? In victory. He leads you in a triumphal procession. Every story of your life, when the Lord leads you, he wants to lead you into victory. He's the God of victory and not defeat. Well, God, just let me lose the game. He let me lose. Well, who told you that? He's never lost. Jesus doesn't like losing. I don't know if you know that. He's impossible for him to lose. But his desire with your life is to lead you into victory. What stands in the way? You say, the devil stands in my way. Well, yeah, he does. He's not going to give you a clean run at it, Christian. And you know what the Father does? He sits back and waits for you to know who you are and to begin to exercise the dominion that he has given you in his name. That's right. That's right. Jesus isn't going to do for you something that he's already empowered you to do. This passivity of the gospel, this passivity of our faith has to change because that's what manifests the kingdom. The kingdom is not manifested through passivity. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It calls for your active participation. The devil stands in your way. Okay, verse 15, same of Colossians. Jesus rendered all, he rendered without authority the rulers, the powers, and the principalities. of. The, that's what he's talking about, spiritual dominion. He's rendered them without authority. And he has made them into a public spectacle, triumphing over them with the cross. The devil's already defeated, Christian. Amen. He, amen. Got another one. That's right. Selena. She gets the star this morning. Devil's already defeated. This is gonna, this, this, people don't like me saying this because we, we do this whole rah-rah thing in our churches, but we need to put it in real time, and we need to put a practical gospel into our rah-rah, right? So this is going to make you uncomfortable. That's okay. My name is Kevin. I'm your friend. Say this with me. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to whack some of your theology out. But that's okay. Say this. The devil, oh, it's going to bother you. I'm telling you, here it comes, has power over the believer, but he doesn't have authority. <gasps> devil has no power over me. Yeah, have you seen your life? Have you seen your life? The enemy's rights of power in the life of the believer are directly related to areas of access that you have given him. You receive Jesus, it's not a magic bullet, Christian. You're born again, you come out of light and into darkness and you're given eternal life, but you have to reclaim your life. You have to begin to overcome and take areas of your life back. This is why the, this is why the church struggles so difficult and we struggle so diff, um, desperately. You see Christians that can't make it and the rah-rah message doesn't bring it home. Because your theology doesn't match the reality of life. The theology that we practice, if our theology cannot overcome our circumstances, our theology is wrong. If our theology cannot transform the, into the things that God has promised us, our theology is wrong. In other words, the way we think, perceive, and act is wrong. We have to shift out of that and shift. There's something with us. That's the thing we can't get to. Well, could, it can't possibly. It must be the Lord. It can't be me. No, it's you. Jesus told me, one of us is wrong, Kevin, and it's not me. That's what he told me one time. I'm debating with him. He's like, well, you can debate. One of us is wrong, and it's not me. In other words, figure that out. Problem's not with me, Kevin. The problem's with you. You don't understand this, or your perception of it is too narrow, and you keep trying to force me into your narrow perceptions. God does not operate through our narrow perceptions. 
That's right. If your circumstances are the way that they are, they are, there is a reason, Christian. You have to apply the principles of the kingdom and begin to manifest the glory that's been given to you. You have to manifest it. God brought him out of Egypt with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. Did he not? We know that verse, right? Come on. Anybody help me out? He brought them out of sin and bondage with a, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He, the Lord brought them the victory out of Egypt. But they had to go into the promised land. And what did Jesus tell them? Come on. Did Jesus go in there and fight for them? He was with them in the fight. But they actually had to do something. The only thing they had to do to get out of Egypt, to get out of sin and that sin and that bondage, was consume the lamb and strike the posts with the blood. Then they're standing at the sea, and Moses sticks out a stick, emblematic of the cross, lifting up. Right? He sticks out a stick, the water parts, they go across, sea comes down, Israel does nothing, they start dancing on the other side. Miriam takes the tambourine and starts to dance, starts to worship. That's all they had to do. But then when they went into the promised land, they had to do something. They actually had to fight their enemies. They actually had to operate with faith. They had to actually listen to the Lord and do what he said. Read the story. Joshua, right? They had to go into the promised land. They're going to take, take the city of Jericho. They have no clue how to take that city. They had to listen to what the Lord told them. Now they're born again, and they have to listen and learn to hear his voice and follow it in order to achieve victory. The victory over the darkness and the sin was won for them. But now they have to reclaim territory. They have to reclaim land that he told them you could have. God told you you could have abundant life. I don't know if you're aware of that. Well, Jesus is going to give me abundant life. Claim the land, Christian. Do what it takes to manifest that. God told you you could have security in your family. Well, if he's going to do it, why doesn't he do it? Whatever he told you to do in relationship or whatever his word tells you to do in relationship to that, do it. Do it. Jesus has fans. That's what we have. We have a bunch of fans. We come and we celebrate and we clap. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? It's a big question. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? The, the activation of God's power and kingdom. Listen, God loves you. You're going to be protected. Minimal protection is guaranteed to all believer. Minimal provision is guaranteed to all believer. Minimal prosperity is guaranteed to all believer. Success and significance is another level. Survival's guaranteed. This is what the covenant, this is the inheritance that we have, is a covenant of survival. In other words, you're going to make it after all. You don't have to worry. And this is what you see. This is exactly what you see. If you are, most of us, we don't observe our lives. I observe the sphere of the gospel itself. I try to look at the church itself and try to see what's going on here. What's happening here? What's happening here, Lord? Why is it this way and not that way? What is this and why is it not that? And you know what's an amazing thing? He tells me. It's like you're seeing survival, Kevin. They, may, they get to pay their mortgage. They get to pay their bills. They get to get through school. They get to this. Everybody's making it by the skin of their teeth. Everybody's surviving. And we call that victory. But very few of us have success and significance when that is exactly what we're called to. Success and significance relates to our obedience. You understand? You can, listen, you guys are going to be with me on this. You can be, you're going to go, well, I don't know about that. You can be disobedient as a believer and God will provide for you. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody here that will give me a witness that will tell me that you can be disobedient and the Lord provided for you? Did he not? Right. Doesn't mean he approved, but he provided for you. He provided for you. Why does he do that? Because it's your inheritance in him. He takes care of you. But because of your, if you're consistently disobedient, you can never go to the places that he really wants you to go, which is success and significance. This is why we have to listen to him. <laughs> Do what he says. Obey him. He's canceled everything out. The only thing that's between you and your victory is you. The only thing that's between you and your miracle is you. Change the way that you think by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Stop thinking stupid. Stop thinking foolish. Stop thinking with culture, American culture. Here's the big one. Stop thinking with church culture and start to think with kingdom culture. Oh, we, we inundate the church and we try to get the church to think. And most, most of the stuff that happens within the gospel itself is based on church culture, not kingdom culture. It's based on personal preferences and personal doctrines and belief systems. And our, by, our, by, by our traditions, we make the power of the word of God of no effect. Church culture, not kingdom culture. We think on earth as it is in heaven. Is that not what he said? 
What is the will of God on earth as it is in heaven? So we need to go into, into his presence and find out. What is your will, Father? What is it that you want? Because our job is on earth as it is in heaven. We have access to the mind of Christ. High things we have access to. Wisdom beyond wisdom we have access to. He's taken it all away. There's nothing in between you. There's nothing in between you. You have to begin to ask the Lord, what keeps me from what you promised me? Start asking that question. Be open to the answer, but start asking that question. You know what we do? Why, God? Why can't I have it? Why? Why? He said, you know the, you know the drill. Jesus. Oh, come on. Jesus never answers victim prayers. When you ask why, you position yourself as a victim. You do. You're not a victim. He doesn't even recognize you. Why, God? Oh, God, why? Why? He's like, who are you? He wants you to come before him and ask what's going on. Read Joshua. That's where we're in Joshua. Second city, Ai. Joshua did what he wanted, didn't he? I don't know if y'all know the story. So the first, the first when they come into the promised land, Israel comes into the promised land, they do exactly, well, mostly, exa- uh, mostly, 90, 99%, they did have one problem, of what the Lord told them to do, they did. Then they go to the next city, Ai, and Joshua doesn't think he needs to inquire of the Lord at all. He's just like, we got this. They go out, they get defeated. And they're defeated. And Joshua's laying in front of the Lord, weeping. Oh, God, why? Why, Lord, have you left us? Why, God, have you left us? You've, you've given us over to our enemies. And the Lord's first words to him was, get on your feet, Joshua. Get on your feet. Stop asking me why. Stop acting like a blubbering baby. Take your rightful place. Stand on your feet like a man and ask me the appropriate questions. You're not a victim. You're a son. You're not a victim. You're a daughter. Lord, what keeps me from what you have promised me? What keeps me? You're going to get a generic answer. But if you will press into the generic answers, he will begin to illuminate you. We want immediate answers. We want a narrative. God doesn't always give you a narrative. He gives you process. We want it answered immediately. Jesus wants to take you on a journey. That's what he does. He tells me. I have two dreams. I'll just share it with you really briefly. Just to give you an, an example. I have these two dreams. It's the same, very similar dreams. Trying to understand. Because I've been asking God. Right? Most of your dreams relate to something you've been asking the Lord for. Your dream, those living dreams that you have, are not, no matter what they are, they usually relate to something that you've been asking God for. I was asking the Lord for something, and he gives me two dreams. And he tells me, I start asking him about the dreams, and he starts telling me. And I said, so what, what is it that I have to do to do what you're showing me to do? And he says, you have to change the way you think, which was a bit offensive to me because I live my life by changing the way that I think. I'm serious. If there's one, I know nothing. You hear me say it. I don't have any good ideas. Jesus is the only good idea I have. And he says, Kevin, you got to change the way you think. So I go through this whole process and he leaves me there. He leaves me hanging. But now it's up in the air, right? So the Lord has given me an instruction and now I have to lean in and wait for him to give me further instruction. So I start listening to him and I'm having lunch with a guy. And then when I start having lunch with the guy, the guy mentions a couple of things at the table. And when he did, that just hit me, you know? And then he says something else, and that hit me. And I was like, whoa, because it hit me, I knew I was going to have to deal with it. So I go back home, and I start asking the Lord, what is it that you're telling me? And he starts showing me, this is what he just said to you is how you need to change your thinking. You see the process? We want Jesus to sit down and write us a, write us a, 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 you know, like a, a chapter. Just write me an instruction manual. He doesn't do that. He gives you immediate steps with instruction, but then he wants you to walk with him in process. Once he told me, I had to lift my radar. Then I had my radar up. I was waiting because God, the Lord's told me to change the way that I think. And I had no perception of that. I'm like, where do we, where do you need me to change? I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, show me what you want. And then I would have, I was meeting with a guy and he talked to me and completely unrelated. He had no idea what I was asking the Lord for. And he just said something. And when he said it, it hit me. And I went, whoa, wait wait a second. What'd you say? I was like, okay. And I kind of put that back on the shelf. Okay, I'm going to deal with that. And then he said something else in the same conversation. And that hit me too. And I went home, and again, you see the relationship? You see the relationship? Everything is a relational process with the Lord, guys. Everything. We think it's just linear. One, two, three, four, militant obedience. That's basic. That's basic. Discipline is the lowest level of discipleship. It's the lowest level. If you can't do anything else, then you need to discipline yourself and obey. That's the lowest level. God's ultimate call for your life is that you would be guided by his eye, that he would just show you and you do it. 
God's ultimate goal for you and his ultimate desire for you is, is that you would be led with him in relationship. The Lord's not standing up there as a dictator saying, do this, do that, do this, do that. And most Christians perceive him that way. They understand that that's, we just need to, you know, look, I'll tell you right now, obey the Lord. If you can't do anything else, obey the Lord. But the high calling is relational. And that relationship and that relational instruction will always be related to his word. I had a guy tell me one time, the Lord told me not to give. I'm like, you got a verse for that? Because you don't. There's no verse for that. So the Lord told me I don't have to give anymore. I go, yeah, based on what? Jesus doesn't contradict his word. So through that relationship, I don't know who's telling you that, but that ain't the Lord. The Lord's not telling you that. But he wants to do things through our lives through relationship. We have authority over the devil. We have to exercise it. Jesus made a public spectacle of them. This is what you have to understand. Christianity's not passive. It's not. It's not passive. Second Chronicles. Here we go. Jehoshaphat. So I said all that to bring us here. Jehoshaphat. So here's the problem. We're all going to relate to this one. The enemy is coming. The king is in his house chilling out, and there's a coalition of enemy forces assembling against him. A coalition, right? The mortgage company, the credit cards, the electric bill. There's a coalition coming against him, right? He's got a coalition of problems. Anybody relate to a coalition of problems? I don't know. We, you know, they might not look like that, but they, sometimes we face a coalition of problems. The enemy's coming against him for no reason at all. There's no real reason. The enemy's just coming to wreak havoc. I would say the enemy comes to test the faith of Jehoshaphat. Sometimes God will put an enemy in front of you just to show you the authority that you have. That's what he did with David. He put that giant out there for no other reason to say, does anybody got faith for that? Does anybody got faith for that? The little boy said, I got faith for that. The Lord said, this one's going to rule my people because God rules by faith. He doesn't rule by talent. He rules by relational, relationship. Enemy's coming. They're a day's march away. In other words, all of his problems are about to come upon him tomorrow. <laughs> Anybody with me? The sum of all fears are coming tomorrow. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat says this, and Jehoshaphat was afraid. Say it with me. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Fear in our weakened situation as human beings is normal. The emotion is the bondage isn't, but the emotion of fear is normal, but we are not to be led by it. Fear does not dictate to us. Say it with me. Fear is not my prophet. No. Wrong answer. Fear is not my prophet. I may feel fear, but fear does not dictate to me. You understand? And so Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord. Wise thing. He's afraid. He's tripping. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do, and he's going to seek the Lord. If you read this story in 2 Chronicles 20 and you read the way that Jehoshaphat spoke to the Lord, there's no victim prayer there at all. It's so one of the biggest, greatest prayers in the Bible is the prayer of Jehoshaphat. But he's not, why, poor me, sniveling, oh, you left us, God, what are you doing? Jehoshaphat says, you are our God and we are your people and you have made a promise to us that if we would come before you and set our face to you, that these are the things that you would do. He called the Lord into remembrance of what he had promised. Because Jesus forgets? No. Jesus never forgets his word. The Bible tells us actually to do this. Remind the Lord of his word. We need to remind the Lord like he's got a forgetful memory. No, it has nothing to do with you reminding him. It's having to do with you, him wanting to know, do you know what I told you? Remind me, Kevin, what I told you. Tell me again. I know what I said, but do you? Do you know what I told you? Do you? That's why we remind the Lord. Lord, you said, surely in blessing you will bless me. And in multiplying you will multiply me. Lord, you told me this. Lord, you told me that. Lord, this is what you said. This is what you said. Jehoshaphat comes before him. First thing he does, everybody says, everybody say this. He positions himself. Exactly. Not as a victim, but as an heir. Lord, we are your people. Position. That's the key to prayer. Positioning. You don't going to go. You got to position yourself. You got to know who you are. You're a daughter. You have every right to seek your father. You have every right to come boldly. You have every right to call upon him. You have every right to manifest the blessings and to call forth what he has promised you. Every right. No one stands between you. Angels can't keep you out. Angels can't. They might, be, they might have a rock concert going on before Jesus, right? They have concerts all the time. The palace might be blowing up. Jesus is a party God. I don't know if you know that. Seven feasts in the Bible. Only one of them was a lament. Six, six out of seven, Jesus is partying. <laughs> Crazy? 
That's true. Six out of seven. There's one where he said, no tears. Feast of Tabernacle. Nobody cries. Everybody laughs. Everybody dances. Rejoice. Go find your joy. Don't bring your sorrow to me on this day. This is the day of dancing. This is an if you want to dance, dance for your victory. If you want to cry, cry out for your victory, but no tears. <laughs> so God is, so whatever's happening in heaven, it doesn't matter. When a daughter calls upon the Lord, he stops having to listen to you. He's, he, you are everything to him. The, the, angels, the angels are servants of the sons and daughters. And if you're aware of that, he sends them forth to minister to us. We, we are ministers are flames of fire, and his angels are ministering servants sent forth to minister to who? Anybody know the verse? The heirs of salvation. The angels don't have priority. The sons and daughters have the priority. The angels wait to minister to the sons and daughters. True. I'm getting real quiet in here. You're like, wow, this is crazy stuff, man. I'm not too sure about that. You're higher than the angels. You're created a little lower than the angels, but you're seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. The angels aren't seated there. You are. You are seated in authority, far above all principality, power, and might, and every name that is named. You are seated there. You will take your rightful place of authority. Serious. It says, and Jehoshaphat feared, and he proclaimed, he set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So he's basically telling everybody, listen, people, I need some help with this one. I know y'all are looking to me for leadership, but I don't have it, and I need some help. <laughs> so he says, fast and pray with me. Whatever you got to do, let's focus on this thing. Let's bring it before the Lord. And from all of the cities of Judah, they came. They listened. They listened. He, Jehoshaphat doesn't want this fight, but he has no choice. How many times do we face fights that we don't want? We don't want that fight, but you have no choice. Christian, the battle will find you whether you want it or not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Faith 101. We're not moved by what our circumstances show us. Say it with me. Faith 101. I will not be moved. By what my circumstances show me, I will not be moved by what my circumstances tell me, and I will not be moved by what my circumstances make me feel. Say this, all of those things, come on, are real, but all of those things are not true. Do we follow truth or do we follow reality? Which one? Truth. We pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. That is the summons upon the son and daughter. We are not led by what we see. We are led by the eternal. We are led by what we don't see. We pursue truth until truth becomes our reality. We don't operate by reality. We operate by truth until the truth. The yes, come on. I got somebody. That's right. Come on. You guys can clap. Come on. Encourage the participation. He calls on the Lord not as a victim. He calls on the Lord as an heir and as a covenant partner. And he concludes the prayer with one of the most famous statements in the Bible. He says, oh God, you are our God. Again, positioning. Judge on our behalf. Exercise the covenant that we have with you. Release the promises that you have decreed over us. For we have no power against what is coming against us. Anybody know that? Ever had that situation? If you've never had that situation, I guarantee you, at some point in your life, you are going to have that situation where you have no power to deal with what's coming against you. And he says, and we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's a humble posture. Lord, we have no strength in ourselves. We have no ability. We don't have any good ideas here, Jesus. You're the only one. So show us what to do, and that's what we're going to do. We're not going to negotiate. We're not, we're not going to argue with you. Just give us instruction, and we'll do that, because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I was talking to a guy yesterday. He was, we were talking about different things and telling me things, and I was telling him, oh, yeah, the Lord's calling us to do this. I said, I have no idea how to do it, but I said, I have the Holy Spirit, and I know the Holy Spirit's going to show me. That's right. Say it with me. I may not have any idea how to do what the Lord has called me to, but I have the Holy Spirit, and he's going to show me. That's right. So what they are doing is they have expectancy. Lord, our eyes are on you. This expectancy is, is not passive, it's active. And the Lord says to him, do not be afraid. So here's what happens. The people call upon the Lord. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear, I will move my hand and I will hear their land. So the people began to pray upon the Lord and the Lord sends a prophet. Say it with me, Jesus always has a word. 
I don't care what your circumstances is. The Lord always has a word. He's got a word. And his word is good. What are we supposed to do? Jesus shows up, sends a prophet. The prophet comes, says, the Lord says this. Do not be afraid or dismayed by what you see. For the battle doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me, the Lord. Tomorrow you will go down against them. And they will surely come up against you. <laughs> the battle is the Lord. You see? Passive. The Lord says, the battle is mine, but you're going to go down and face them, and they're going to come up against you. You understand that? You, you get that? We get passive on our couch. We want to twiddle our thumbs and kind of go, the Lord's going to take care of it. Well, did he give you any instruction? Did he give you anything attached to that? He told them he's going to take care of this whole situation. But he told them, you will go down and they will come up against you. <laughs> Uh-oh. Since they will surely come up against you by the end of the brook and by the wilderness of Jeruel. And you will not need to fight the battle. Right? We all celebrate that. But we forget the next verse. Position yourselves. The Lord's going to fight the battle. Position yourself. They still had to take formation. They still had to stand their ground. They still had to actually show up and present themselves and be prepared to fight. Even though the Lord was going to do it, they still were not, he didn't exempt them from not showing up. They couldn't phone it in. The Lord wants faith. He wants faith. Position yourselves. Show up. Even if you don't have to do anything, show up. That's why church is important. Even if you don't have to do anything, show up. Well, I can worship Jesus from my couch. Show up. It's not what he called us to do. It's a command. It's forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. If you want to be like some, then forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You don't want to come to church. You want to be part of a living community. You don't want to do that. Then you're like some. Some. Do not forsake yourself the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. In other words, Jesus is seeing you not as ordinary. Don't do what the ordinary do. Do what the extraordinary do. Show up. Don't phone it in. You will not need to fight this battle. Position yourselves and you will stand and see the salvation, the deliverance of your God. Who is with you, Judah and Jerusalem? So he tells them, show up and remember, I'm with you. Remember who I am and remember who you are, right? That's what he tells them. Show up. So here's what they're going to do. They're going to go out and face a coalition army and they are not prepared to face what's coming against them. And the Lord knows they're going to freak out as soon as they see what's coming at them. Anybody know here with me? Yeah, you go out for the battle and you're like, yeah, let's go out for the battle. Then you see what's facing you and you're like, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. And they know, the Lord knows. He's sending them out. And he says, when you go out, assemble yourselves. And remember, <laughs> no matter what you see, I'm with you. No matter what you see coming against you, I am with you. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Tomorrow you will go out against them. Arise, not passive, active. Face your enemy. Deal with the issues. The devil's wreaking havoc in my home, Lord. Face that devil, Christian. Face that circumstance, Christian. Put faith on it. Rise up. You will not take my children. You will not have my home. You will not leave me in despair. You will not leave me in dismay. I do not surrender my house to you. Hmm? Active faith, not passive. We take our rightful place. We know who we are. We know what we, what we have to do. We go out against them. Remember the Lord is with you. What the enemy intends for destruction, Jesus means it for good. This happy day, right? Happy day. What the enemy means for evil, the Lord turns it for good. He works all things out to the good of those that love him. Everything. God's going to work it out, man. The enemy's coming. He's making these threats. He's making these boasts. He's making all this stuff. And the people are in panic. They don't know what to do. They have no idea. And the Lord's like, look, I know it looks bad. And I know, like you, I know as you look, you're going to see they're more organized than you. They're better, they're better trained. They're better equipped. They look better. They got fancier clothes. They look like they're loaded way more than you are. But remember, I'm with you. Remember who I am. I'm your father. Remember who you are. Position yourself. You understand that? If they would have been standing there with their knees knocking and everything like that, and they just stood there, it's not about standing, it's about positioning. I am a son of the highest, that is not my birthright. I am a son of the highest, that is not my inheritance. 
Do you know what belongs to you? Do you have any idea? We capitulate. Oh. Stand your ground. You got breath in you? Fight. Fight. It's not over. Rack the gun. You still got one round? Okay. I'm out of bullets. Use your rifle as a club. Put a rag in your head, a knife in your teeth. Throw it down. Right? That's what the Marines say. There's one Marine with a rifle, the fight's still on. That's right. That's how the church has to be. If there's one Christian with a promise, if there's one Christian with faith, the fight's still on. That's right. One Marine with a rifle, the fight's still on. This way it ain't over. Stop capitulating. Be faithful unto what? Starts with a D, ends with an H. Be faithful unto death. Lord says, fight, even if it kills you. That's why the enemy ravages his people. We, when we just fight that dude, exercise your authority. What you're going to learn is you're going to learn one of the things, this is again, warfare strategy, is that the more you engage the enemy, the more you learn his tactics. Amen. That's common warfare strategy. That's why units don't want to engage each other because they all operate by common tactics. And so you learn the tactics of your opponent by constantly engaging them. And when you're engaged with the enemy, you start learning his tactics. So the next time he walks through the door, he's going to get a fist. Boom. It's because you knew he was coming. Right? You know how it works. You know he's going to do this move, so you do that move. You know what's happening. You have to fight for what is yours. And as you fight for what is yours, the Lord will show you knowledge. We're victors. For this reason, the Son of God was made known to destroy the works of the devil. Nothing makes the Lord more angry than to see his sons and daughters in bondage. How do I know? I deal with it all the time. I can feel his power when I deal with it. And he's not going to work any harder than you. But if somebody wants to be free, I can assure you Jesus wants you free. I can assure you. A hundred percent. Absolutely. There's no debate there. You're a daughter. Who told you you had to be tormented? God has no glory in that. You're a son. Rise up. Master your fear. That's what he tells Jehoshaphat. Don't be afraid. Everybody say it with me. Master my fear. Right? Fear is a real emotion. I hate it. I hate it. Anybody here like fear? You like the feeling of fear? No, I don't, I've never met one. Man, I love to feel fear. Let's fear fear. Let's freak each other out. That sounds great. We hate fear. But we have to master it. We have to, lay, we have to grab hold of ourselves and do what we have to do, even if we're afraid. Say it with me. Do it afraid. That's right. Jehoshaphat had to master himself and grab hold of himself, and he had to do it even though he was afraid. Fear is not an excuse. You hear me tell it all the time. Jesus doesn't like cowards. He doesn't like cowards. People are like, I'm a coward. You have a lion in you, Christian. You have victor's blood coursing through your veins. His strength is perfected in your weakness. Now, don't talk to me about cowardice. Take on the mantle that he has assigned to you. Let the anointing come upon you. Let the kratos of God come in you. Face your, face your foe in the strength of God. You'll be amazed how your cowardice goes out the window. I don't partner a covenant with my cowardice. We're all cowards, if you want to know the truth. I'm not a coward. Yeah, you've not faced the circumstance that makes cowards. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Hmm? You want to give up? Because you're tired. You want to give up? Because you're worn out. You want to quit? Because you don't have anything else in your tank. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. We're all cowards by nature. We're broken. We're weak. But in our weakness... He is strong. I make no covenant with my cowardice. I make no covenant with my fear. I make no covenant with my weakness. My covenant is with the Most High God. My covenant is with the anointing. <laughs> For when I am weak, then he is strong. Yeah, sometimes I got to go take a nap every now and then because I'm worn out. Yeah, I get it. And so, but I, have to, I fight the fight of faith. I keep coming in, keep coming in, keep coming in, keep coming in. Master your fear. They had to position themselves and go out. They had to do something. He told them, remember who's with you. Fix your intent and your expectancy upon me. Right? What happened to three, you guys know the story of three men in the fiery furnace, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I heard a black pastor. I didn't say this. So if I had a black pastor, goes, I read it. Shadrach, Meshach, and a big Negro. How about that? Hallelujah. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if that's appropriate, Pastor. Well, come on. Abednego. So we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're going to throw them in the fiery furnace. And when he's going to throw them in the fiery furnace, they say to themselves, God is able to deliver us 
But even if he's not, he's what? Nobody knows that verse? Even if the Lord doesn't deliver us, he's still God. Right? You guys know that? So it doesn't matter. We're going to face this thing, but we're not going to deny our faith. We're going to face this thing, but we're not going to deny who we are. We're going to face this thing, but we're not going to deny God. And if we go down, we're going down in faith. But the Bible says you're not going to go down because he's able to make you stand. He's able to turn defeat into victory. Who is with you? Ephesians says, put on the full armor of God. We all say this. Having done all, stand. Anybody ever heard that? You ever quoted that verse, right? Yeah. He says, having done all, stand. Well, what does he tell us to do before we stand? Put on the armor of God, right? Put on the armor of God and then stand. Take your rightful position. Know who you are, okay? Helmet of salvation. Have your heart. Know in your heart that you are right before God. All of these things. Position yourself. Understand and then stand. Having done everything, then stand. So they pray. They receive counsel. They obey. This is another key to the story is they worshiped. You want to say it with me? They worshiped. That's right. They worshiped before, they worshiped during, and they worshiped after. They didn't worship in the victory. They worshiped before the victory. They worshiped during the battle, and they worshiped after the victory. It says, the Levites and the children of the Kohathites came. These, that's another story. Kohathites. <laughs> Korathites. You guys know who the sons of Korah are? Hmm? Sons of Korah. Their dad said, who is Moses to lead us? I think I should lead the people. And the Lord's like, Korah was stirring up all this trouble against Moses. And the Lord said, bring the people in front of me. He says, everybody with Moses over here? Everybody with Korah over here? <laughs> and the ground opened up, swallowed Korah, right? And it was the sons of Korah, because some of Korah's sons didn't go with their dad. They went over, they're like, well, I don't know about you, dad. I think you're a little off on this one. I'm going to stand over here. And the sons of Korah wrote the song, it is better, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of our God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. They are the ones who wrote that. <laughs> better is one day. So they rose up early in the morning. They went out into the wilderness. So what God has basically done is he's funneled his enemy, their enemy. They've come down this valley. They're standing at the end of the valley where the brook ends, and they're standing in front of a forest. They have no way back. They have no way out. They're trapped. They don't really know it yet, but they're trapped. Isn't that amazing? What the enemy brings against you as a snare actually becomes his own snare. So the Lord sent them out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Israel, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe the Lord your God, and you will be established. Have faith in the Lord, and you will be established. This is what he's telling them. Don't trust in your circumstances. Don't trust in the situations. Believe in the Lord your God and he will establish. Everybody say this with me. Believe the word of his prophets and you will prosper. So true. And when he consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing before the Lord and who would praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the Lord singing. Come on, you guys got to help me out. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Where are we? His love endures forever. That's the song they sang. Now, I'm going to battle, and I don't think, I think I want to sing like a war chant. I don't think I want to be up there going, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures for, they'd be looking at that, and they're like, what are these guys doing over there, right? Even like, like some kind of war cry, right? That's what we would want. It didn't work like that. Give thanks to the Lord for his, and they worshipped, they worshipped before, they worshipped before they worship during and then the Bible says this the enemy turned on himself so through their worship the God allowed the enemy to actually turn upon himself and the enemy turned upon himself and actually destroyed himself very common tactic in the in the Old Testament where the enemy turns on himself you see it over and over again when the people of God pray the enemy turns on himself because there are fabric they're, they're, there's no unity the devil doesn't really have unity there's he's he's actually confusion and so the Lord allows their own confusion to be used against themselves. Say this with me. Isaiah 54. Say it with me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And every tongue, every word, every Facebook post, every Twitter, every text that, that speaks against me in judgment shall be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness comes from me 
God said, no weapon that is formed against my people will prosper. And every word that is spoken against them, every condemnation, everything that is accuses them will come to nothing. And he said, well, why is that? And the Lord says, because their righteousness comes from me. He says, I'm going to do it just because I want to. I'm going to do it just because I say so. They're not right. It's because I'm, they're right in me. And so when Jehoshaphat saw the people, they to come to take away the spoil. So Jehoshaphat comes, and when he comes, he sees this whole army has been defeated. And they go before this army, and they just, just like the Lord said, you're not going to have to fight this battle. They fought against themselves. They found among them an abundance of dead valuables, or valuables on the dead body. So these guys were like packing with treasure. So apparently this coalition had been moving through the land, raiding the land. And so they had a lot of treasure. Now they're defeated. And so they come upon these dead bodies and they strip themselves off of themselves. And it took them three days, three days to carry away all of the loot that these people were carrying. And they were blessed by the Lord. Therefore, they called the name of the place the Valley of Baruch, which is the Valley of Blessing. And they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem. And what did they do? They rejoiced. They sang and worshiped again. And so they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments. They came to the house of the Lord, right? And they began, so they worship, they win, they worship, they go, they go to the house of the Lord, they worship again. And the fear of the Lord came upon all of the surrounding kingdoms when they heard the victory that God, that the God of Israel has fought for them. And the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave them rest. It took them three days to gather the spoil. Hmm? So we like, yeah, let's three days, we'll watch this. Do, say this with me. I will not, I will not. lament. When my harvest comes, even if my harvest comes at the expense of my enemies. Uh-huh. Yeah, we won't want the harvest, but what if God plunders your enemies and gives it to you? Then we all start feeling bad. Well, I just feel bad. I feel bad. I feel, they didn't feel bad. They didn't feel bad. Egypt, Egypt threw gold upon the children of Israel when they left. They didn't feel bad. You know, a lot of times that's what we do. I tell Christians this all the time. I'm like, God will get somebody. Somebody will be moved out of that job in order for you to get that job. God will move somebody out of an opportunity in order to give you an opportunity. There's nothing fair about favor. favor. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. It's a transference of wealth. It's in the Bible. We need to believe God and activate faith for the transference of wealth. Somebody's going to get that contract. Why not you? Somebody's going to get that job. Why not you? Somebody's going to get that opportunity. Why not you? The transference of wealth. Say, oh, I feel bad. You know, so-and-so. We got a guy here. I told him, I taught this. And one time he told me, he went in for a job interview. He's an accountant. He comes here. I haven't seen him in a while. But he comes here and he said to me, uh, you know, that thing you said about uh, believing God for a job. He said, I was believing God for this job. And I said, tell the Lord what you want. Be faithful with what he says. Do, what he's, do, what, do what's required in, in line with the blessing. And I said, and believe God. And that's he's going to make it happen. He said he went for a job interview. And the guy says, you know, we just hired a guy three weeks ago. But I think we're going to let him go because we like you better. <gasps> that poor man got fired. There's nothing fair about favor, Christian. If you have a problem with your enemies being ransomed for you, if you have a problem for the God, with the godless being ransomed for you, then you're never going to understand abundance. Amen. You won't. The Lord will ransom your enemies for you. Amen. They will make the payment you will not. They will do the things that are required and they will suffer the loss, but you will not. And many times they will suffer the loss on your behalf. That doesn't seem Christian. It's not Christian. It's biblical. It's not church culture. It's kingdom culture. Big difference. This is kingdom culture. It's kingdom culture. If you have a problem with it, then it says it's probably never going to happen to you. If you have a problem with somebody leaving a million-dollar contract and them getting to you, and then they go bankrupt because you got their contract, and you're going to shed tears, you're never going to see it. Oh, God, I didn't really mean to let them go bankrupt. <laughs> you say, well, why would that happen? Maybe that person needs the bankruptcy so that they can call on Jesus. You have three different types of people in the Bible. You have the righteous, you have the godless, and you have the wicked. The righteous are the sons and daughters of God. You are righteous in Christ Jesus. You have the godless. This is the group of people where the majority of people lay. The majority of people are godless. They're just clueless. They now know God. They're walking around in the midst of all of this stuff, and they're godless. And then you have a group called the wicked. The wicked are the people that will hurt you without conscience. The wicked are the people, it doesn't matter what you show them, they will never believe truth. They will never accept it, barring a miracle. 
right? Jesus does miracles right in front of the Pharisees, and they wouldn't believe him. They wouldn't believe him. What do he call them? Wicked and adulterous. That's what he called them. You have to believe God for that God's going to give you something great. They took the spoil. They rejoiced when the Lord provided for them. The Lord provided for them. And they went and honored the Lord. They didn't cry when their harvest came at the expense of their enemies. When you learn to operate in victory, the enemy doesn't mess with you anymore. This is an interesting part here too. I'm almost done. When they learn to operate in victory, the enemy doesn't mess with you anymore. When you understand spiritual warfare and you understand the principles of the kingdom, I'm going to tell you without, with absolute certainty, he's going to go find somebody weaker than you. Because it's like, man, every time we go there, we lose a tooth, right? Every time we go there, we get broken noses. I mean, we got to like, you know, we got dead bodies that we got to deal with all the brokenness that happens because that woman knows who she is. That son knows who he is, you know? When you understand who and what you are and you begin to exercise and practice dominion, I'm telling you, the enemy will go find weaker people. He won't want to mess with you. And when he sees you coming, he's going to start freaking out. Your feet hit the floor and he's going to go, oh, God, he's up. <laughs> master your fear. So what do we do? We master our fear. We look to the Lord with promise and position. Look to the Lord's promise. Position yourself. Face it. You have to go out to that battle sometimes. God said you're going to go out and they're going to come against you. Lord, make it all go away. Just make it all go away. I'd love to have it all go away, right? Wouldn't you love to have it all go away? But sometimes it just doesn't go away. You got to face it and it's got to come against you. But God will give you victory. He's never promised you ease and comfort. He's promised you victory. Yes, he's promised this victory. Remember who was with you. Come on, say it with this with me. Have tippy-toe. Oh, come on, you know you like it. You're like, this is church. I don't want to be undignified. Have tippy-toe. Expectation. Believe God. Get excited. Come up on your toes. Get excited. That's right. The bigger the mess, the bigger the glory. The bigger the problem, the bigger the victory. It's the way it is. Jesus will turn everything around. He's the God who breaks into impossible situations and reverses their effects. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Anybody here believe it? I want to share this with you because it's going to help you all, right? It's going to help you all. When they worshiped, the Bible said, with a loud and high voice. So when they got the victory, they weren't like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They worship with a loud and high voice. It's okay to worship God with a loud and high voice. It's okay to praise God with a loud and high voice. It's okay. It's okay. Amen? Amen. <laughs> if you're watching us by live stream and there's anyone here in this room with us and you've never given your life to Jesus, and you're like, I don't understand the stuff that you're talking about. It kind of sounds cool, but what does this relationship with Jesus actually look like? Well, the Bible says that we have born with a problem. All of us are born with a problem. In the Bible, it's called sin. It says the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the penalty for that, we're all short of God's goodness on our own. And the penalty or the reward of being short of that goodness is, eternal, is lost. You're lost eternally. Eternal destruction. The Bible says that the gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And the Bible says that if you will believe in your heart, right? Say, I'm already, a, I'm already God's son. He made me. Not the only ones that are sons and daughters are those who have faith in Christ. To those who believed in him are given the power to be a son and daughter. So even though you might say that I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm a, I'm a Christian, it's not intellectual belief, it's conversion of the heart. Jesus said you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and he has risen from the dead. And if you will do that, you'll be saved. So we're going to pray a prayer. We're going to close the service. You say, I don't understand all this. You don't have to understand it. But your heart is telling you you need to do it. There are people I know that are watching this and you're feeling in your heart, I don't understand anything this guy's saying, but I feel like this is what I need to do. So just stop doing this and start doing this, right? So we're going to pray together. I came to Christ, I didn't understand anything, but I knew in my heart I needed Jesus. I knew in my heart I couldn't do it on my own. I didn't understand a thing. I didn't know up, down, left, right. I couldn't even pronounce the Bible names, any of the books. I had no clue, no clue but I knew I needed the Lord, and that's you too. So we're gonna to pray together as a group, and all you gotta do is open up your heart. We're gonna pray this prayer, 
And as we open up our hearts, the Lord's going to do what he said he would do. Let's just pray. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand all of this, but I choose to believe it. I believe you came, you died for me, and you rose again. Therefore, I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Say, that's it. That's the start of it. If you prayed that prayer, hit us up in the messenger. Send us an email, Elevate Miami Church at Gmail. We want to connect with you. We're going to bless you one more time. And just for all y'all in the room, we have a prayer team available for you over there. So please take advantage of that if you need prayer for anything at all. Fire starters is at 4 o'clock. And let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.